Good morning. Thank you for letting me come and see my friends, Jonathan and Pauline, and Jake and Missy Posey as well. We were at Grand Canyon University and First Southern Baptist Church many lives ago, and we knew the Poseys. Um, I am not a heretic currently and have no plans to be, so thank you, Jonathan, for that strong word of encouragement. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, here are your hungry sheep. You've gathered us together as the good shepherd and you've not left one of us aside, but everyone is here that you have intended and here's the rich pasture of your word. Would you lead us into these fields and bid us to eat our fill of your goodness? Would you give us a clear picture of your son, our savior, would you strengthen us by the Spirit to walk in his way? Christ, we pray. Amen. Anybody uh, ever have a recurring dream that shows up, the same goofy dream? I, I have one, and I was hoping I wasn't alone, but here I am. Uh, my dream manifests itself this way. I walk down the hallway of my house that I've walked down thousands of times before and I notice a door for the first time that I've never seen before. How did I miss this door? And I open the door and there are stairs that go down and there's this enormous basement the size of my house. It just goes on and on and on, room after room after room and each room is filled with shelves and every shelf is filled overflowing with cowboy boots. I am in sub subliminal part of my ego. I'm the Amelda Marcos of cowboy boots. I don't know what it means. Uh, recent studies in uh, dream studies in that field show that dreams are beneficial for memory retention. So at the place in your rest, when you get to the place of dreaming, your, your brain releases a chemical that gathers your short-term memories that you made that day, and it stores them in long-term memories. That's handy to know. And what, what they're finding in these fields of study is that a good rest translates to memory retention and healthier long-term brain function. I need that. I need that, we have four kids. My wife can tell them apart by looking at them and I just call them a number most of the time. Memory is failing. Uh, our Psalm this morning, Psalm 126, begins with a dream sequence of sorts. In 586 BC, Judea and Jerusalem fell to the Babylonian Empire and not long after Babylon conquered Judea, Babylon itself was conquered by the Persian Empire. And the Persian king, King Cyrus the Great, uh, released very quickly after he took office, he released the Hebrew slaves to return to their homeland, Judea and Jerusalem, and rebuild their homes and their temple and their walls. In fact, that's where the First Testament ends in the Hebrew Bible. Our English Bibles end with the Italian prophet, Malachi, uh, but the Hebrew Bible ends in 2 Chronicles. And the final verse of the Hebrew Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 23, reads this way. 
says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him, let him go up. And so these, the Hebrew people had been conquered by Babylon, scattered to the winds, scattered into the nations, uh, in exile, they'd been persecuted as slaves. They had no nation, no home of their own. And out of that hopeless situation, God acted through a Gentile king to set them free, to send them home again. And so when they marched back, they were so overjoyed to be free. To them, it felt like a dream when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dreamed. Everything that they'd ever hoped for was coming true. And their joy in God's mercy was so palpable, it was so raucous that the watching world took notice and they gave glory to the God of the Hebrews. And they said, the Lord has done great things for them. Look, they, those people got set free. And the Hebrew people take that phrase up. The Lord has done great things for us. A few years ago, my wife and I and our, our kids had gone from uh, Tulsa, where we live, <clears throat> down to Houston, where I was born and raised and happy to be from, happy to be in Tulsa from Houston. Like the sport teams, you can keep the humidity. Uh, but we, we went down to Houston for my uh, 20th high school reunion. We left the kids with my folks and we were excited to go karaoke and uh, boogie, boogie the night away. We were gonna have a grand old time with some old friends. I, I was the friendliest boy of my class and I was gonna prove it, show my wife how awesome I was in high school. And as we were driving uh, to, to the downtown area, we got a phone call from the, the president of our homeowners association in Tulsa, wondering why our back door had been open the last three days. We just bought this house and moved in three weeks ago. We left and went on vacation and it was broken into. Now, being a pastor, they didn't have much to steal they can have all the used Bibles that they have, but they didn't, they didn't have much to take, but, but, but we were still immediately bothered. And we, we went from joy and excitement to fear and frustration in an instant, in, 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 in 30 seconds of a phone call. We wondered about damage, what was taken, how much it would cost to fix things. It was this gut punch to our excitement and joy. And the Hebrews experience a similar swing of emotions that they record for us in song, in Psalm 126. They had been conquered, they had been enslaved, and now they're set free. That's joyous, that's amazing. But as they exit the freeway and they turn down the driveway to Jerusalem, they find that everything that they once loved now lies in ruins. They'd been broken into, they'd been conquered. And they were overjoyed to return, but as they come back, there's nothing but rubble. 
I want you to listen to this heartbreaking scene recorded in the book of Ezra, chapter three, verses 11 through 13. They had come back home, Cyrus had let them free. They gathered the best craftsmen and they, they put their minds and their hands and feet together and they worked tirelessly for two years. And after two years of nonstop, brilliant architectural work, they completed, not the temple, they completed the foundation where the temple would set. And Ezra records it this way, and all the people shouted with a great shout. And they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, the first temple, they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy. And this is the the beautiful part here. So that the people could not distinguish between the sound of joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. So in that, in that moment of celebration, you had folks that had seen and experienced the glory and splendor of the original temple, Solomon's temple. And they said, oh, this pales in comparison to that. We are in so much trouble, everything is ruined. But you had people who had been born and reared in exile who saw finally a promise of return and, and, and worship completed and fulfilled and, and they were overjoyed. And so in this moment, you had this, this bleeding together, this blending of, of joy and weeping. The Lord has done great things for us, but we still need him to do so much more. He had acted and done amazing things, but there was still so very much that they lacked. So their praise, or their prayer rather, in verses three through four is something like this. Lord, you have done great things for us. We are truly blessed beyond what we deserve from your hand. But we dwell in a wasteland and there's still so much more grace and mercy that we need from you. And so would you act again in kindness on our behalf and let blessings continue to abound to your people. This is what they're praying. Thank you, more please. There's something very powerful for us to see as well in the last two verses of Psalm 126. There's a promise and there's a prescription. The promise is that God will indeed act to pour out blessings. He will cause his people to flourish despite the circumstances that they see. He will cause his people to flourish despite the circumstances that we see. Joy will eternally eclipse our tears of sorrow, which is the unbelievable message found in the final book of Holy Scripture, Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters, the promise that is ours is staggering. The amount of grace that is yours currently, right now in this moment, in Christ, is overwhelming. The prescription, though, is easy to miss. Don't look away from the promise, but look at the prescription. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing sheaves with him. We still have work to do. We still have weeping to do. 
We work while we wait for our full deliverance. These returning Hebrews came back to piles of what once was with nothing but a dream and a hunger for what might be. They knew they still needed all that God would supply and they knew that ahead of them lay the path of difficult labor through their tears. God would act to bless, they would strive in faithfulness. Both things are true, they are not opposites. They are not in polar contention, but they travel hand in hand, which is Paul's exact teaching in Philippians chapter two, where he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Labor through tears, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work to his good pleasure. Both are true and complementary. And that's where the title for today's sermon comes from, the the diagram of suffering well. We, We can no more wallow hopelessly in our sorrow and grief than we could close our eyes and plug our ears and declare that evil no longer exists. Those are not options for us. The reality of the church's place in the world is to image forth our savior. And our savior, is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And yet his life was one lived through tears for the joy that was set before him. So God himself set the lines of the diagram of suffering well, that he would act and we would labor, that he would bless and we would weep. But the final intersection of those lines comes at the cross and it leads us beyond to overwhelming blessing and joy. And so whenever Psalm 26 was written, the Hebrews sang it when the temple was completed and everything seemed right. They were in their land praising their God in the temple that they built for him. They sang it there. But they also continued to sing it when their land was ruled by Romans with an iron fist. And it was in that context of history that a young child from Nazareth named Jesus learned to sing Psalm 126. He knew, like every little Hebrew child, he knew all the Psalms off by heart and could sing them at a moment's notice. In fact, he did more, this young child from Nazareth, than sing a borrowed worship song. He was singing this song of worship in the midst of weeping that he himself had written through the inspiration of the spirit in centuries past. Jesus was singing his own tune. This this child was the restoring Lord who would march up those steps to the songs of his people. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, joy. And just a few days later, he would march down those steps to a different tune of crucify him, crucify him still ringing in his ears. Joy and weeping were side by side, not just in his life, but also in his death, in his tears over Jerusalem, in his cries from the cross. What we see is God sowing while weeping. And those of us who have run to him by faith, Look for the day when he himself, when, when Jesus fulfills Psalm 126, he went out weeping and he's gonna come back carrying the sheaves of nations in his arms for the blood that he atoned for the sins of, of the, the world's people. 
And so if the first church, the Hebrews sang this song, and the Lord of the church sang this song, then brothers and sisters, we who have been made alive in the spirit can sing Psalm 126 as well. And we can sing this song as exiles in a strange land. We can sing this song as those who have the sure promise of God's everlasting joy. And we can sing this song as those who weep while we await its ultimate fulfillment. We can sing this song while we strive to shine the light of Christ into this darkness. We find ourselves in a predicament, in a setting not that dissimilar from their own. Because we have been set free, not as slaves from the world's great superpower, we've been set free from something far more powerful than that. We are those free men, free women, free children who will sing because the chains of sin that once bound us have been broken in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, never forget that your Christian life is like living a dream. The Lord has restored your fortunes abundantly. All of your wildest dreams have come true. You have forgiveness, you have righteousness, you have communion, you have a holy family that you're a part of, you have the promise of resurrection. You will not die, but you will live. All your dreams have come true. But, but we dwell here. We dwell in a dark, evil world filled with greed and abuse and racism and neglect and injustice. We are truly blessed, don't forget that, but there are stacks of ruin everywhere we look. And there is so much left for us to weep over. There's so much left for us to work towards. And so brothers and sisters, go this week. Go in the fullness of joy that is already yours. And go in the spirit of broken contrition for all that remains out of place. And go strengthened by the spirit to bring the wholeness and beauty and truth and glory of Christ into those dark places. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, sing your song, church. Let me pray for us. Father, we love your word. We love how it exposes us, how it penetrates us and separates us from the bone, from the marrow, soul and spirit. We've seen the glory of what is ours in Christ. We've seen the dangers that await us as we suffer along faithful ministry lines as he does. And so would you strengthen us to that end, to, to continue to go out for the joy set before us, which is the nations gathered in your name. Would you cause us to bear up and persevere and so be glorified in your people, your bride, your children, your sheep. Would you do this, Father, and receive the thanks and praise of a grateful people. And all God's people said,